Oaths Hermes podcast. Welcome to the world of the Western esoteric tradition. Hello friends and listeners, welcome to a new episode of the Thoth Hermes podcast. Today is Sunday, May the 2nd and I hope you all had a nice Beltane. My name is Rudolf, I am as always your host and it's a pleasure for me to welcome you today for this episode in which I will present to you a long interview with a person I wished for a long time to have on the show, Jake Stratton-Kent, and I don't think I have to say a lot to introduce Jake. Many of you, I'm sure, do know who he is and are just as much looking forward to the show as me. This is episode three of our new season six, and um, I'm really happy that the Thought Hermes podcast, upon his return on those two first episodes, starting four weeks ago, has had such a nice audience. Again, I thank you all for being with us and having been patient for that long break. If you want to get in touch, why don't you go to our website, which is thoughthermes.com, T-H-O-T-H-E-R-M-E-S.com, and there you do not only find all the previous episodes, more than 80 so far, You do not find only the show notes to all those episodes, but of course you can also leave me a message. Either you send a message there through voicemail or through a form that a contact form on that website. You could also send me an email on info at thoughthermes.com directly or go on Twitter and Facebook and you can leave me messages there. I promise they will be replied to in due course. I would also like those of you who are supporters of this podcast through Patreon, most of you. Um, And it would be really great if some of you who have so far not been patrons would also join that group because it's thanks to you that this podcast lives and can live. Because, of course, producing a podcast doesn't only cost time, but also some money. And it would be nice if that support would be able to make this podcast even better. There is another thing I would like to ask you, which is your contributions. Yes, I have done that before and I would be extremely happy that musicians among you, and there are quite a number of musicians among the people who are interested in the occult and the esoteric and Western mysticism world. And it would be nice if those of you who would like their music to be played on this show, that they contact me on info at thoughtservice.com, talk to me about it, and, well, we'll see what we can do. Those of you who are regulars know that some of those people who have contacted me have appeared on this show with their music, and I'd love to continue in the same way also in the future. So, do not hesitate, get in touch with me, and... Send me your music and we will make something of it. 
talking about music, our guest today, Jake Stratton-Kent, he is from England, of course, and also he has a real um, big interest in rock and punk music. So I thought um, the music that I choose here today should be, of course, as always, a bit related to who he is and what he does. And I chose three pieces of music who are all three of them a bit different and different style-wise and content-wise. So the first piece we're going to hear in a moment is by the band, English psychedelic rock band Person from London. Person with P-U-R-S-O-N. It was founded in 2012, I believe, and uh, they split again in April 2017, so already four years ago. But they were very well received at the time and their music has often a deep relation to the occult, to the work and even to Ars Goetia. Uh, Ars Goetia because person is a demon who is also named in that Ars Goetia and of course Goetia and all that comes from it is a big subject of Jake Stratton Kent's and we of course are going to talk about that in depth in a moment in the interview with him. We are going to hear today a piece called The Contract from the band Person, which was released in September 2013. And uh, I, well, I think you should just lean back and listen to this and enjoy the music that's going to be played for you now. So this is Person and their title, The Contract. Enjoy. Oh, 
person with that track, the contract from 2013. And now we are going to welcome, I think we should call him a legend. Yes, Jake Stratton Kent is a legend. He is, has more than 40 years of experience in Goetian magic. He has continued that practice throughout his life from age 16 onwards, as we will hear in a moment. He has written many books, has collected a lot of magical papyri, the idol of French grimoires, in particular the Grimorium Verum, but also African traditional religions with focus on Quimbanda and Madia Negra are in the focus of the interest. And his interest in magic spans the ancient, medieval, renaissance and modern and goes from the West to the Middle East and of course also North America. He has very strong opinions on certain things and I really liked to talk to him. It was a great, great pleasure to have him uh, here on the show to do that interview. We are also going to talk a lot about his work as an author, of course, that Encyclopedia Goetica, which comprises now three volumes, is really a masterwork and something that should be on the shelf of each true occultist. Another quite remarkable work is Pandemonium, a discordant concordance of diverse spirit catalogues, as it is called, and it was published by Hadian Press. And that is also quite a work which we are going to talk about a little bit, um, because it collects the whole information about um, spirits and demons, let's sum it up like that, in one single volume. Quite an achievement. So, I don't want to keep you much longer. We are going to join Jake Stratton Kent in his England. Um, the line was not always perfect, like it is unfortunately often the case when I speak to my guests in the UK, but well, that's life and I'm sure you can understand everything as you should, but um, just keep your ears well open. In the middle of the interview, after about half an hour, we are going to have a little break, a musical break. I'll come back to you and tell you what the music that you're going to hear then will be. And of course, at the end of the show, a third piece of music. And then at the end, I will also announce to you who will be my guest in episode number four in two weeks time. But for the moment, it's time to join Jake Stratton Kent and listen to the interview with him. Here comes the interview. It's an enormous pleasure for me to have somebody very special uh, here in front of the microphones for the Totemis podcast and Jake Stratton Kent. Jake, who, well, I don't have to introduce him really to our audience here. I'm really honored that you have accepted to come on this podcast. Jake, uh, welcome. Good evening to you. Good evening. It's a great pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. You are a legend, so to speak, because uh, everybody who has, I have read a few written interviews that you did. And of course, the, uh, I know you also by your books and everywhere where one reads what you well, he's a legend. He has do been doing what he's been doing for over 40 years, I think now, and nobody. I yeah. think how long. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nobody in the way knows the Western tradition better than him. So it's really great. But I would like to start with our interview 
very early on, at least, if, if not at the very beginning. Um, so, Jake, we all have come into magic and or whatever we call it. Maybe you also tell us how you would call it, if you call it magic or something else. Um, magic, probably, yeah. <laughs> and we all have come to that, to the occult, in a certain way. Some of us have been gifted as young children. Others have discovered it at age 45. Um, so where did it all start with you? Um, have you known at a very early stage that there is something special that interests you? How was your discovery path, your initiation, so to speak? Uh, well, for, formally, if I, if I want a better word, I got, got interested in magic around 16, very suddenly. As a deterministic event in my life, it seemed like a nat natural next step. And I got hold of Paul Hewson's Mastering Witchcraft very quickly and, and started to, to use it as well, as well as read it and check out his references. And, and you know, I think it's a wonderful manual. You know, it mostly stood the test of time. Uh, but yeah, that's for interesting things in my earlier childhood. Yes, yes, yeah, my family mm -hmm. seen ghosts, and you know, I was always interested in mythology. And so, yeah, it wasn't an unnatural step, but uh, yeah, yeah. So that there was a was a, some background in your family uh, also already that you brought you a bit there, right? Yes, uh, more than I knew at the time, in fact. Mm -hmm. Do you think that in, in your country, in the UK, on, um, that this is maybe also more common, especially things like paganism or, or, or uh, local cults are in that respect more common than in other countries? Could that, could that be the case? Um, in a way, there's also been a strong literary interest in those uh, things for, for quite mm -hmm. a while in the English-speaking world. So, you know, it's it kind of kind of in the air. I mean, even the novelists and, and children's books at the time where, when I was growing up, it was quite accepted. You know, sort of a neo-pagan a neo -pagan vision was, was, was out there through, you know, James Fraser and Robert Graves and people like that, but also novelists, as I say. Yeah. True, yes. Do you think this is still the case or has that scene changed in the UK? Um, I think it's alive and well, you know, and also alive and sick. I mean, some of it is, it is <laughs> some of it is rubbish that needs deconstructing, but it's it's still flourishing. You know, so, so mm -hmm. neo-paganism in and occultism in the English-speaking world, at least, it's it's still huge for better or worse. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. So you were sixteen when you kind of formally started to. To, to, to work with that. When I say formal, uh, was, it, was that with a group or did you start solitary or with one person or how did it all start in that way? Solitary and uh, I, I have been a member of groups at various times, but I prefer the solitary part. But mm -hmm. I think groups can be very stagnant and uh, just you know, a product rather, rather than something that's moving forward uh, and actually alive. Yeah, so yeah, I, I far prefer the solo path, but which doesn't mean I can't work with people when I feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure, but that's you working with people and not maybe in an organized group as such, right? In exactly. order, or, yeah. right, right. But that was the case from the. But did you have a 
tutor or was it really did you read books and try or how, how did it how did it all grow um, well as i say I mean, the moment i picked up paul hewson's book virtually i, I was working from it i was um, okay. making, making the holy water and you know, preparing the tools uh, mm -hmm. uh, and trying the various techniques uh, uh, and there was also herbal related stuff in there which i got into quite quickly uh, i've always liked that combination you know sort of <laughs> You know, not just ceremonial, but uh, mm -hmm. material materials as well, stones and herbs and so forth. Uh, so yeah, yeah I, I learned by, by doing to a large extent, and understood what I was reading by trying it. So, yeah. And did you did you feel that you had a a special um, talent for that? No. No, not at all. I mean, this is before the the days of the internet. So I just imagined that there was lots more advanced people out there, and you know, you know, rather than meeting a lot of silly people online you know, and thinking, <laughs> "Oh God, is this just for nutcases?" You know. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't full of myself. I still think of myself as a learner. You know. I think that's sure. the best way to think about yourself. I mean, being greatly honoured freight of this and all of that is you know, just a, an ego boost and usually reflect nothing at yeah. all. You know. well, the moment that we stop learning, is, is a, is, is, it's impossible to advance in, in magic and your cult anyway, is it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you have called yourself, I don't know why, I just read that in The Witch's Almanac. You seem to have called yourself a very late late pagan where in this double late the first l is uh minor and the l the second l is is is, is, a, is a capital letter so, so the late pagan what what is a late pagan to you and why are you a very late late pagan well the late pagan period overlaps with the early church period yeah. you know, historically and a lot of uh, occult themes originate from that time astrology mm -hmm. and more or less taken shape by then you know. Uh, planetary correspondences to the days of the week or all, all past that late pagan picture and uh, yeah i relate more to late paganism than to neo-paganism so i'm very late because you know that period is a long time ago yeah. <laughs> okay so it's not because you you think that uh, or do you think maybe that uh, that um, magic has developed in a certain way because it also probably develops in time uh, would you think so and so it's not to position you within the history of magic in the late in the late day uh no no it's, it's fairly tongue-in-cheek but uh, but on the other hand yeah the, the the pagan the real pagan period rather than the fictional one dreamt up yeah. by 19th century types and later mm. yeah, it does have a lot to, to teach Contemporary magic, because because we've lied to ourselves so much about about history, you know. Sometimes looking at the real thing is quite educational. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and perhaps that's one of my strengths is that I've always had that that instinct of check, checking the sources and going back, and occasionally thinking, "Oh God, my idea of the past is complete nonsense." You know, here's the here, when, when confronted with the, the actual data, it's something else entirely. Yeah. So, so self yeah. self criticism, you mean, is is important, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Or being able to accept data when someone like Ronald Hutton shoots down the the, you know, the, the so called creation myth of modern paganism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it, it, it's obvious he, he, he was on the case and you know, a, a major rethink was necessary. And I'm not the only person that, you know, that read him and thought, oh, God, you know, I've, got, I've got to think again. But, but I was triggered to, to, to research and, and, and write, well, you know, if that's not the, the pagan origin of magic, what is? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so let, let's go back then, maybe to your early twenties. I don't know, but so you you had started with that with that work, and you you, you felt that it was going ahead, and that it. What, what did can you can you tell us? Is there an event that kind of made you realize that this really works, or the way you said, "Hmm, I thought this was maybe just a game, but it is more than that." Can you can you fix that? Yeah, yes, uh, I mean quite uh, quite early on. I mean fr- from Paul Hewson's manual, uh, there was uh, there was somebody I, uh, I wanted to be romantically involved with uh, around at the time, and uh, I tried putting a spell on them from mm-hmm. from Paul Hewson's book. And it involved gr- growing a plant, and um, as if it was that person, you know, naming it after them and nurturing it. But I got the plant growing and everything, but. <laughs> Nothing seemed to be happening, apart from I had a plant. So um, you know, I thought I'd return it to nature, and in a bit of a huff, I threw it in the in the pond. Mm-hmm. And you know, the same day, that person got thrown in the pond. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Thought, okay. Oh, the connection was there. I should have taken the plant to bed with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely interesting and. Was it a shock or was it, hey, great? Uh, what was your reaction to that? Well, yeah, I realized that you know, there actually was something to these quite simple processes mm-hmm. and instructions. Yeah. 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 yeah or, or at least you could manipulate coincidence if you had to come up with some explanation. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, I mean, I've not had any shortage of. Uh, uh, results you know, or phenomena sure. around, yeah, around magic. Yeah. Um, some of them quite con- persistent for a while. That were, you know, perhaps problems that I, I, you know, I had to tidy up my act to get rid of. You know, so some of the side effects of doing that. Did. And did you then try out new? Techniques. I mean, you know, there, there. When today, when the, when the youngster goes onto the internet, they find whatever. 50 different schools of magic and sometimes they they have success with something and then they think hmm, i go to the next step and take something else on did you do that as well maybe not with the internet but did you also go to other schools then or did you maintain the line and and, and strengthen the line you were in uh well, a bit a bit of bit of all really um mm-hmm. uh, Paul Hewson's uh, book's got an excellent bibliography, so that led me on to other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, there was stuff in the air and around. I you know, encountered Alistair Crowley and the Grimoires and the Golden Dawn and so on quite quickly and got, got interested in the Grimoires pretty quickly, but then I, I kind of you know, put them semi on the shelf while I did Crowley's um, AA training, you know, you know, without without joining a, without joining a group, mm. without, yeah, I, I did the great work as best I could, and occasionally matched an individual when I needed to, who could uh, verify that I'd done, uh, done that period and could move on. Mm. Yeah. But uh, eventually, I came back to the uh, to the grimoires with, with a bang. Uh, 
Uh, and yes, it, it's the one that had always interested me the most uh, from the beginning. That, that was yeah. yeah. We'll come back to the grimoires in a minute, because of course, that's a major, a major point we have to talk about. But let me just ask you one more question before that. Um, sure. um, how or can you as a solitary magician um, create something like an egregore with other magicians or with other people? Um, can you do that uh, temporarily, so to speak? Or is this something that you don't need anyway? Or what, what's an egregore for you? And how do you how would you define it? And how would you work with it if you do? Uh, well, the, the if I do is, is really the way forward here. I, I'm not even sure I believe in Ecuador's okay. uh, or, or tulpas or thought forms or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that is perhaps psychological uh, justification for, for magic or, mm -hmm. or, or you know, trying to use a semi-scientific explanation. And you know, I'm not entirely sure I'm happy with okay. it. Um, but the word uh, Egregor seems to relate to Gregori, which, uh, which is the watchers. Uh, yeah. Of fallen angels, yeah. Yeah. so the ontology is arguable. Maybe we, you know, our thought forms are actually something that's already there. <laughs> yeah, I just say maybe that where we go created the work. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it seems to be literature the first time where we find it there. So it's strange. Yeah, yeah. But um, when you do, what do you consider your your greatest magical achievement? Did you did you have something that you say, well, that one really? Uh, I wouldn't have thought I couldn't do that. Uh, well, I mean, conjuration is a bit of a tour de force. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Successfully conjuring a spirit of visible appearance, especially with other people present, you see it too. Of course, yeah. Yeah, that was, it is a bit of a tour de force and, and mm. perhaps not, not something you want to do terribly often because it's very wearing and you have to be fairly fit sure. psych yeah. psychologically and physically to pull it off. So. Mm. It's, so yeah, having worked successfully in that in that area, uh, I probably fits the bill. Uh, you know, yeah, uh, of you know, some kind of achievement. Mm. But um, pretty scientific. It's my interest is semi-scientific. I mean, I, I want to know how this stuff works or to see it mm. working. So uh, yeah. I'm not I'm not clapping myself on the back about it. I'm just getting on with my stuff. So and being curious all the time and developing means also keeping also after forty years entering new fields and new new trying new things, right? Yeah, and keeping uh, keeping up to date with uh, the best authors in my field yeah. uh, and the fields that interest me. So uh, supporting mm -hmm. them, you know, giving them reviews so that everybody can access it. Yeah, you know. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. that's what I care about is the, the state of the art, you know, literally. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. So you would also call it an art, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. OK, let's go into the grimoires, because, of course, when when the name Jake Stratton Kent is mentioned, then the second thing that comes into people's minds is he is the, the big specialist of grimoires that kind of seemed to start right from the beginning in your magical career, right? Uh, as, as, I, as I gather now. Pretty quickly, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, the other books that uh, I stumbled upon quite quickly, one was uh, The Secret Law of Magic by Idris Shah, which is a mm -hmm. compilation of grimoires yeah. or, or grimoire material. 
And yeah, the true grimoire was the one that stood out there. And, and I came yeah. across various other places like, yeah. before there was even an edition of it. Now, I would like you, I mean, many of our listeners here are uh, know their way really quite well through magic, but there are also others who I think we should explain the true grimoire a little bit more, right? So maybe you could tell our people here a bit what exactly the true grimoire is, means, and why it is so important to 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 yourself. Uh, well, it's perhaps better known as the Grimoireum Verum, yeah. is the Latin for, for true grimoire. Um, at, at some points in its life, it's been known as the true clavicles of Solomon. There's no real reason to say that it that it's a fake Keir Solomon, because there's several versions of the Keir Solomon that are quite unlike each other. So mm -hmm. it is essentially a version of the Keir Solomon or of a Solomonic book. Mm -hmm. but, it, but it's quite different from, for a start, from the Mathers Keir Solomon, which is like the one everybody's known since the Golden Dawn sort of era. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, uh, Mathers missed out lots of stuff that he thought related to the Grimoireum Verum. He said, oh, no, 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 that can't go into my Keir Solomon. And um, anyway, he said it was an undisguised handbook of black magic. And it's, a, yeah. you know, it's had a reputation of, of being a darker grimoire, for want of a certain phrase. Uh, but there's a lot about it that I always liked. Um, uh, the way the spirits interact with everything you do, I mean, even the minor spells uh, involve using the sigils of spirits in various ways. And that had always appealed to me that, you know, that it was about interaction with the spirits, you and the spirits doing this stuff, mm -hmm. uh, which is less the, much less the case with um, modern conjure magic until quite recently. It was all like the spirits in the triangle, you're ordering its bout, and once you're done with it, you never talk to it again, necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that didn't appeal to me or seem real. <laughs> So, yeah, there's lots of stuff that appealed to me about it quite early on and stuff that appeals to me even more now when I, when I eventually returned to it you know, quite some time ago. It, it, was, it was like going back to my, uh, to my roots. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. Had there been teachers and, and a tradition around when I was young, that would, that would have been where, I, where I'd been all along. It, it just took me a while to come back to it. Uh, through the Corolian tangents and various other things, mm -hmm. which, we, which were useful. I mean, they were the training that was available. And I also uh, did my time with, uh, with chaos magic. Yeah. Um, okay. uh, yeah, so, yeah, I put my myself through the training that was available, but eventually it was the, sure. the, grimoire, the grimoire that had always appealed to me that grabbed me and yeah. me uh, so, Right, you're ready to do this stuff now. Yeah. Sure. You know, it opens your mind also for other things and 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 uh, teaches you other ways of seeing the same thing in the end, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so as a mature person coming back to the thing that had interests me as a younger person, yeah, definitely. Younger. Would you also because you're saying that because that that seems like an interesting point to me? Would you also say that when you at some point twenty years later go back to the same? teaching or same system or the same spell or whatever that it might be working differently with you 20 years later 
Uh, well, yes. I mean, we get all sorts of things to work with beginner's luck when we first set out, you know, presuming that we're ready to do it, to do anything practical. Now, I, I see a lot of people making stuff work, and it may not be the best stuff, but you know, the fact that they're, they're trying to make stuff happen mm. is, you know, something is likely to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you, know, you don't necessarily understand why or how. Um, and you know, a lot of people seem averse to having you know, philosophical ideas about magic as well. It, it's unfashionable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, well, that which brings us back to the the, the, the grimoires actually, and to Guisha in particular, because um, of course one sometimes gets the impression that um, Guisha. Well, something yeah, I think it's a, it's a truth. We just have to read the internet or other books or whatever. Guisha is being the bad side of magic for some, right? Uh, which is yeah. of course ridiculous, but but. Maybe where does your interest in Guisha come from in particular, and what is it to you? And maybe you can tell us how you how you see that controversy that is sometimes there. Uh, well, it's, uh, the, the lady who introduced the wonderful term left hand path and right hand path into modern occultism, Helena Blavatsky. Mm -hmm. yeah, her idea of right hand path was attending lectures. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I like that one. <laughs> the left-hand path was any practical occult work whatsoever, especially from books that had Hebrew words in them. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, it's, it's quite obvious that, that she meant the grimoires, uh, but but she confused it with Kabbalah, like a, a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. uh, so the real the real black magic is anything practical. Mm. And and white magic is just listening to some teacher and giving them your money. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's a very that's a cynical way of putting it, but it's also quite realistic because Goetia is at root uh, the origin of well, all practical Western magic. It, you know, it, it describes most of the grimoires, although some of them have tried to clean up their act because Goetia's always had a bit of a strange reputation. Go back to Plato's time. And Goetia was associated with necromancy. Mm -hmm. and, and long before Plato. And Plato is kind of being disparaging about things that have been around long before he was born. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, so practical magic has always had a bit of a bad reputation. And Goetia and witchcraft are just different ways of describing it in a negative way. You know, uh, uh, witchcraft is op often used to translate Goetia from Greek. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it seemed to me the likeliest place to find effective magic was in the places with the worst reputation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it hadn't been cleaned up significantly in, in an attempt to be theologically acceptable or, or, or whatever. And and that instinct's not been proven entirely wrong. I mean, True Grimoire has a very bad reputation amongst people who aren't quite sure that anybody ought to be doing magic in the first place. Yes. Um, yeah, and, and, and there were effective methods in it that uh, proved to have ancient precedents and represent some continuous line of line of practice. Not necessarily continuous in terms of people, but in terms of books that people could find, a, a continuous mm -hmm. literary tradition that actually does contain effective techniques going back to antiquity. Yeah. And you find it in the in the darker places too, partly because you know 
that at least cleaned up. Yeah, yeah. And is this the reason why you, because they are the least cleaned up, because is this reason why you are using them so much, why you are interested in them so much, let's put it that way also, um, because you think that's the true origin somehow, not spoiled by, by not the least, not the least the 19th century or whatever, uh, um, or is that the reason or is there anything else that leads you to go back to those roots and to, to work with the, and to search the old grimoires as well? Well, yeah, once you start on these, uh, on these trails, you, you do stumble on other things uh, yeah, and you know, find lines of development. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, it's not all about my, my instincts that uh, the darker areas of the grimoires were probably a good place to start looking. Now, I mean, that was part, you could say it was partly ideological, partly psychological, but uh, there's also histori- historical reasons. For, for, for following some of the lines I've, uh, that I've gone down. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, my, my instincts on the other hand, my historical instincts have, proved, have been proven good you know, several times. I mean, an earlier predecessor for the Grimoirean Baron than was originally thought has been found by Joseph Peterson, who is one of my personal heroes in, in mm-hmm. Grimoire research. Uh, a book called The Secrets of Solomon, in, in the, you know, the, so authentic the Inquisition had a copy of it, you know. <laughs> and has some very interesting uh, departures from areas of the Grimoire that I'm not particularly keen on anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's a musical accompaniment to some of the rituals. The, the people accused of, 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 of using this book Look, witches rather rather than afraid of this, afraid of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Historical context, but also a practical context that is more interesting. They were using the sigils, much as the Grimoire and Verum does. You can see how the Grimoire and Verum derives from this process. I mean, their spellcasting process is a form of implicit pact, and the Grimoire and Verum's conjuration is an explicit pact based on the same process. Mm-hmm. So the, yeah, a lot of my, my historical intuitions have been subsequently, you know, proven good you know, by some literary discoveries, not just by myself, but by but by Joseph Peterson and and others. So so yeah, there, there's there are historical lines to follow, and yeah. it does it does seem to be you know the, the darker grimoires are, are lines that are particularly strong. Certainly. Certainly. And it's not about the dark. I mean, there's a lot of rubbish, dark, modern stuff. No, no, maybe I'm completely wrong when I say that now. And please, please tell me so if I am. But uh, sometimes for me, the, I fully agree with you on this, on this silly silliness of distinction between left and right hand path. I have never had to put it that way, as you said, it was very funny. But I've had discussions with other interview partners here, like Joseph McCarthy and we all quite agree, of course, that this is all rubbish to, 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 to divide it into those into those two parts. But when you speak about the dark and being strong and so is it not also because it's very complete, very um, full of both sides when it's very dull, when it's also very dark um, might that be a reason why it's, why it's stronger well yes the, the dark stuff is oh, oh yeah that has the, the worst reputation often anyway 
is also the, the most complete. Yeah. So that, that was my, mm. my, my instinct. It's going to be less tampered with. And it's not yes. all about putting curses on people or, or whatever. You know, there, there are plenty of benign purposes for, for magic. Magic is, is, is amoral, is, uh, rather than divided in, in, into, into good and bad. You know, it's, you know, it's, what's good for the individual or the tribe may be bad for somebody else. I mean, that, that's just the way life is. Yeah. You know, so, so, so there are absurd distinctions in a lot of ways. And, and I, I probably use my magic for benign purposes you know, far, far more regularly, you know, on, on behalf of friends and relations and mm-hmm. loved ones, you know, than I do for negative purposes. So, so yeah. Do, yeah. Yeah, definitely. What a wonderful person he is, Jake. So knowledgeable, so much experience, but at the same time, so modest. It's really, really wonderful to have him on this show and a great joy to talk to him. Right, I promised you some more music, as always. Of course, this is going to happen and it's going to be also in the punk direction, but a bit different this time. Quite a groovy piece you're going to hear now by the band L'Uomo Nero. This is Italian, of course, but they are based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. They are blues rockers, or probably rather occult rockers, we should call them. They have released an EP trilogy based on a supernatural thriller concept quite from years ago. Well, no, one year ago, I think it was only. And that EP is called Andiamo nel Deserto. We stay in Italian. It's Let's Go to the Desert, Andiamo nel Deserto. And the track which we are going to hear from that EP is called Nel Deserto, In the Desert. They call themselves a desert rhythm and blues rock three-piece. Well, um, and they ask themselves, are we helpless victims of unimaginable forces that can drive humans mad by their mere manifestation. So you see, the music that we hear today is really related to what we are talking about in this very interview. And I think Jake would like that piece of music just as well. After that piece, we go directly back into the second part of the interview. And at the end, we hear a piece of cello music yes very different again it's called beginning to end and it's two cello players in a very darkish piece as well and i thought it would be quite a nice counterpoint let's call it like that to the other pieces of music that we heard earlier in this show and still a great fit with jake and what we talked about right so for the moment it's Nel Deserto by L'Uomo Nero. Then we return back to England to talk to Jake Stratton Kent and the second part of the interview. After the second part, we'll hear cello piece called Beginning to End. And after that, I will come back to announce you who will be our guest in two weeks' time. So, enjoy the rest of this show.
like to ask you is um, two definitions because I find it interesting when people who are very who are very well, who are very well researched those cases and have a great practical knowledge also of it how they for themselves define words that in the common use have so many different meanings are a little bit uh, have become very unclear in a way because and don't don't be surprised but there are two words that i'm going to ask you about that might 
you will say, why are you asking me this? But I think that, for example, grimoire is something that has, I'm not talking about the true grimoire, I'm talking about grimoire in general, right? Um, is something that people have partly only a very superficial or lazy knowledge of what it really means and is. Would you, would you be able to give your, your definition, definition of that? I think people have a bit of a phobia about them because of the Christian, <laughs> the Christian elements. Probably, yeah. <laughs> but but that, that's a bit childish, really. I mean, you, you can't just throw away 2,000 years of culture mm. you know, because you don't like you know, the local Baptist church. I mean, that, that's, yep. just, that's just silly, even though you may have strong personal reasons. Mm. And uh, yeah, the fact the fact is, you know, if you're looking for a tradition that has survived through you know, through that period of history, yeah, it's it's not going to be jolly neo paganism just just hidden under a bush somewhere. Yeah, it will have Christian elements, whether it's you know, whether it's calling itself witchcraft or ceremonial magic or whatever. Mm -hmm. it, it will have Christian elements. They, they won't be uh, uh, orthodox or uh, Christian. I, uh, <clears throat> the grimoire's you know, ideas about spirits are completely different from uh, from the church's idea. I mean, the church will tell you, you know, that spirits can't do anything without God's permission. That, that any results they produce will be illusionary, etc., etc. And the, the grimoires uh, don't think like that at all. The spirits have very real powers. They don't have to have God's permission. You just have to know the right ritual or offer them something they like. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. You know, so, although there, there are Christian terms all over the place, the way they understand the world isn't the way the, the church understood the world. So it's just a matter of get, getting over the fact that this mythology is written with some names you don't like. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's still mythological and, and magical way of under, understanding and, and, and operating. Sure. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I don't get on particularly well with um, any saints or any angels or, or, or whatever either I mean, uh, 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 that are accepted by the church. I mean, Saint Cyprian isn't accepted by the church. He was no, he isn't. Yeah, yeah. qualified quite some time ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah and you know, I, my my spirits, as well as myself, find, find him an interesting and character, and uh, it fits easily into our way of doing things. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, there's, there's many other saints in folk Catholicism, you know, I don't personally, you know, don't, don't personally go to, but tradition has. So, so yeah, there's a bit of a phobia about the Christianity, and that, yeah. that, that's unnecessary because you know the foundations of the grimoires precede Christianity. The principles of, of the ritual, uh, ritual processes can, can be traced. To, in, uh, in earlier sources, yeah, but but it does help not to just ignore two thousand years of source sources that, that are most accessible. Yeah, sure. Maybe even even Christianity was a bit more complete and more um, turned to both sides than than we see and live it nowadays, right? Yeah, I mean we've already spoken about uh, the English speaking world's picture of mm. paganism and magic. But uh, you know, I found it useful to escape from that. Uh, okay. uh, central, central Europe, uh, around Prague, Czech Republic, uh, uh, and places further afield, the, the, uh, 
historically there's been paganism, Catholicism, and Protestantism virtually simultaneously in some of those areas. Yeah. Yeah. You know, rather than as sequential phases. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. uh, whereas in, in in England and Wales and so on, the Catholic churches tend to be modern buildings because the because the, you know, the Protestant Reformation, all the old buildings either went fell into ruin or got taken over. But in, yeah. but in Prague, you've got full-on Catholic cathedrals, yeah. but in the most atheist country in the world. Yeah. It's a totally different mindset. They're not, they're not phobic about Christianity. They're proud of it as part of their tradition, whilst while being modern-thinking people. Absolutely. You know, I find this phenomenally refreshing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I find it much easier to think in some ways when I go to the Czech Republic than I do in the British Isles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We here in Austria, it's again a different matter. You might, you might know that, of course, as well. But um, that counter-reformation that we went through for political reasons, actually, at the time, destroyed so many um, church buildings because... Um, especially old, the old church buildings that were really in Gothic style, that were kind of rebuilt in the Baroque style inside. And of course, that destroyed the whole proportion, the whole message that was built into those old cathedrals beforehand. And that's another problem that we live here in Austria. Maybe the second term that I'm putting to you, maybe we'll get a similar answer, And but it is even more... Um, seen as more dark and you have been called a necromancer what is necromancy how would you define necromancy what is it for you well it's it kind of changed meaning as i said in, Pl in plato's time and before goetia was associated with, with literal necromancy you know, so mm. working, working with the dead if not their bodies their spirits and one of the ways I would define magic from, from that perspective is practical eschatology. I mean, what, what happens in, in, the, in the afterlife, you know, and, and how, how, can, how can that benefit me magically? You know, mm -hmm. that, that, been, that, that was a large way of many cultures' way of developing magic and arguably religion, was, you know, thinking about the, the, the afterlife, eschatology. Uh, later on in the medieval period, necromancy is uh, seen as related to, to black rather than uh, negro rather, uh, rather than dead necro. And there's a change of meaning. You know, it, it, it's still being called ne necromancy you know, or, or, or equivalent words, but it's not necessarily involving the spirits of the dead directly. Although they do tend to, uh, uh, tend to intrude in the grimoires even after it became unfashionable and the church tried to take over with total responsibility for dealing with the dead. And mm -hmm. that, was part, that was part of making their break with the, break with the pagan past. So never mind your ancestors and all the rest of it, we'll deal with that. So, so, so you know, that's part of the, the historical reason for the dead kind of receding from, from later magic. And, and then in the, the 19th century, uh, you've got uh, the Gondorn and Crowley and even Madame Blavatsky wanting to distinguish themselves from spiritualism. So there was another reason to say, no, 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 nobody gets to talk about the dead. Mm -hmm. But uh, So that leaves us with, with big historical blind spots. It's like we're not looking at the dead. We're culturally, we're not, 
Yeah, we're encouraged to get rid, get rid of our, our dead loved ones as quickly as possible, and special services to whisk them away. You know, hmm. yeah, and we have an, an eternal cult of youth, which is obviously unrealistic as well and unhealthy. So yeah, I, I found myself drawn to to thinking about those forbidden areas, and uh, yes, I do consider myself a necromancer. Some of the spirits I work with are spirits of the dead, or you know underworld spirits familiar with the dead mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah that, that's not a very fashionable way of, of thinking about magic but i think it's it's important and um, that various other people are confronting the unhealthy as the work attitude to the dead that uh, our culture has so and you know you, you can see it as part of that part of that spectrum mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. you just said can it's not a very fashionable way can you be fashionable and an effective efficient efficient strange word in that context but an effective broader uh, magician can you can you be that with, uh, and at the same time be fashionable is that possible well yeah fashion does lead to blind spots yeah. what, what everybody knows can be a lot of rubbish and it, but, mm. but, yeah, if, if you question it you will get a lot get a lot of people pointing fingers mm. and, and i I found that in my own writing career, where it's saying, so Goetia is not what everybody's been saying it is. Yeah. Initially, I had very negative responses, and there's still lots of people who are unresponsive yeah. to a more historically informed approach. It, you know, it's still like, you know, the Goetia is one book, Alistair Crowley wrote it. You know, and, <laughs> yeah. 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 You must have a triangle, and, and, and all these other assumptions there that historically yeah. uh, was history always a, a kind of of uh, interest for yourself before and without magic or is it really the the historical interest in magic that defines you i've always been interested in history so i've always been interested in mythology yeah, mm. and, yeah, and the borderline between them mm -hmm. but, I mean, often it's not important whether what we think is right whereas as much as it influences and affects things and people mm -hmm. go around believing all sorts of nonsense and it makes things happen you know it's not like politicians <laughs> yeah. can't be too can't be too bad yeah exactly yeah. um let's talk a bit about the author jake Stratton-Kent, because of course we have talked about the magician the practitioner and and the historian of magic but um what about the author i mean um, there are those this volume one two three of of the is a kind of like a, a big um concordance of, of, of more than that the history of the goetia and of the, and 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 its magic um when did you decide to 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 write and especially those three volumes what inspired you with them what what why did you write them let's put it bluntly well I mean, partly i just just had to work some things out for myself mm. you, know, you know like you know the real the real historical background of western magic had been you know you know that we thought we knew it turned out to be nonsense and mm. i had to go had to go away and have another look and a lot of it wasn't planned mm. uh, I, I originally i just wanted to do the true grimoire and uh, maybe have some stuff about the greek tradition in an appendix at the back but, mm. uh, but you know things had a life of their own I, you know the appendix at the back turned into two two volumes of, <laughs> of, the, of the next book 
And then just when I thought I'd finished that and could have a rest, uh, the Cyprianic stuff just uh, uh, took hold of me and yeah. got further two volumes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so and, and none of it was planned. And, my, and the stuff I've been doing in the last few years, uh, you know, what I thought it was going to be like is nothing like what it ends up being like. You know. Tell us a bit more about uh, Cyprian the Magic because um, uh, I don't know, you, you probably know Frater Acker as well, who has written an, another book on, on him. And yeah, I had him on the show uh, twice already. And he, one of them, we were speaking about that book. But it would be interesting for me to have your take uh, on St. Cyprian, what, it, what he means to you in your personal work and also in the context of the history that you described. Uh, well, I mean, he fits solidly into into my late pagan preferences, late pagan early church. I mean, mm. that, that's exactly sure. where he emerges from. And although he's, you know, he affect, he influences European grimoires, you know, the length and into Scandinavia as well. And then he crosses the the Atlantic to the New World and influences traditions there. For, for me, it's the it's the late pagan early church stuff that really resonates. Mm -hmm. And um, Yeah, my testament to Cyprian the Mage is largely about the role of late antiquity in shaping magic, mm -hmm. and how St. Cyprian fits into that. And, and it's often per personalizing things, you know, like with a figure like St. Cyprian, makes it you know, more interesting to talk about history and more feasible. Okay. You know, it's, you know, it's more like a conversation than a lecture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah, for me, Saint, Saint Cyprian is a late pagan magician who just happens to segue neatly into grimoire magic as well. Yeah, okay. And that's what, you know, so yeah. But it led you to a complete volume, I believe, on of 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 your of yeah. your of yeah. your work. And I don't. I, and the word saint is not in the title. That's true, yes. In your case, that's absolutely true. <laughs> Spot on, absolutely. <laughs> um, and what's your take? Because I, I didn't find that in any of, of, uh, of, your, of your talks, at least. Um, what's your take on the Picatrix? Is that, is that something that's historically founded? Or where do you situate it? Oh, yeah. I'm very, very glad to see so much interest in it now and readable editions in in English. I, mean, mm. I, I spotted it quite early on as a matter of, of interest. I, I've had a, a copy of the, the, the German text mm -hmm. for, since, since the 1970s at least. Mm -hmm. I've done, done a bit of translation work myself with help from others. Okay. Which has ended up in appendices here and there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> love, love the pick tricks. Um, I always have done. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not Christianized, obviously. I mean, it might be no. Islamized, but, uh, but yeah. it's uh, the, the Hermetic Arabs and the, 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 the Nabataeans and mm. Sabians and, 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 and even as far afield as India. I mean, that, there's a huge melting pot going on. Reflected in the Petrix, and, and, and it's fascinating. Some some of the later Arab grimoires have less in common with it than we might expect. Uh, there's, there's, you know, it's, like, it's not about dealing with the jinn and, and stuff. It's it's quite quite distinct. It's you know, it's you know, her, hermetic. Arabs, yeah. Better expression. Yeah. Uh, intense, uh, intensely astrological, intensely hermetic. 
Yeah. Um, probably a little more highfalutin than I am, in fact. <laughs> okay. But, wonderful, wonderful but, nonetheless. But yeah. worth worth having a look at. Okay. Uh, you just mentioned India in regards to the Picatrix. Um, um, I don't know, maybe I have overlooked it, but I don't know about any... Um, work on your part or any 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 yeah work on your part regarding the easter tradition now um am i right on that and if so is there a, a reason to that or do you not want to mix up things or is well you speak well yeah i like to get the context established first i mean in the 60s and 70s it was very fashionable to buzz off to India and just mm. ignore, ignore Western spiritual traditions entirely, whether it was witchcraft or, 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 or the grimoires or whatever. It was just no, no instant gratification. Sure. Head over head over there, find a guru, light a joystick, and yes, sort it. And uh, that didn't appeal to some of the, the stuffier Western occultists, but it didn't appeal to me either. either. Uh, so uh, yeah, for, for me, it was like, you know, get down and dirty. And also, you know, I, I can afford to go visiting holy sites in the British Isles, but much more, much more readily. I didn't have a trust fund to fall back on for my spiritual development. I was just a working class lad fresh out of the mound home. You know, so mm -hmm. grimoires and witchcraft was handier. But there is a, there is, there are Eastern connections with, with Western magic as far back as, as one can go. Mm -hmm. And they're important and interesting, but uh, for, for me, it's, it's establishing the context first. Uh, I've been quietly working with the lunar mansions as a major part of my magical work for a very long time, mm -hmm. and there are Indian connections there. There are Chinese connections there, and, and there's Arab world bringing both of those connections in during the 10th century, yeah, and, and and then there's people like William Lilly, you know. Mm -hmm. that famous English astrologer and a bit of a magician on the quiet is also interested in the lunar mansions. Yeah, so yeah, I like to get the con the whole picture and not brush the Western side uh, away. You know. I mean, sure. I'm not. I, I think in a lot of ways, it's heading straight for Tibet is just as just as colonial as as the British Empire was. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you know, understanding our roots and how they've been in contact with these other cultures over a yeah. long period of time, I think yeah. it's, healthy, it's healthier and more holistic. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't give you the exact, the exact spot where he wrote that, but if I remember well, Rudolf Steiner at some point said... Uh, one of the reasons why he could uh, Blavatsky's group was that he wanted to learn about the Western tradition first, because we had so much to learn about that, uh, that he didn't have at the moment, at least then when he said that time to look into the Eastern tradition, he was wanted to know his, his genuine roots first. Would you, would you kind of share that thought? Would you, would you, would you say the same way or in a bit a different way? This is what I meant by when I said some of the stuffier Western magicians yeah. were also they were were also averse to the to the Eastern outlook. But mm -hmm. uh, no, I, I don't agree. I think Steiner's just as bad as Blavatsky. Mm -hmm. Really, mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah. I'm not sure he would have been happy meeting Eastern people, <laughs> but like, yeah. <laughs> Whereas I'm perfectly comfortable exchanging, exchanging ideas with anybody who knows what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I, I'm, yeah, I, I've always been inspired by other cultures, but I'm not part of them. I, I don't have ready access to them, and I'm not prepared to, to pretend that I do. I'm not an expert on voodoo or, or anything like yeah, that. I'm not sure. pretty, I don't come from those cultures. I'm not, not initiated into them. Mm. I have immense, immense respect for them. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm, yeah, so, some, some American stereotypes uh, have, have had more uh, more access to to those traditions than I have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they not understand how how I feel about them. On yeah. the other hand, after fifteen years ago, it was very unpopular amongst white Americans to, to give any respect to yeah. to, to the new world traditions, yeah. mm-hmm. with, with with exceptions, obviously. Sure, but no, no. no I, I don't have the same background as uh, uh, Steiner either, and I don't. <laughs> I would. Uh, I, I, I would suspect that. <laughs> w. G. Gray and, and various others were also not very keen on the news. Whereas, yeah, yeah I'm, per- I'm per- perfectly, perfectly inter- interested in the, you know, how these things have overlapped historically with that, uh, with Western magic. As long as we don't throw Western magic out at the same time, or have nonsensical ideas about it, as a lot of these stuffy images yeah, sure. have done for, sure. for a long time, total nonsensical ideas. Mm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I hope that in future people who are better qualified than me will develop on the, the Lunar Mansion material and, and others. Eh? Look, how how these themes in Western, uh, Western magic relate to Chinese tradition, Indian tradition, and how they can. Yeah, we fertilize each other. Yeah. It's like the argument between tropical and sidereal astrology is largely <laughs> artificial. Yeah. You know, if somebody who's really interested in astrology and good at it would be looking at both and putting them yeah, together. Certainly. You know, you know, so there's you know, wonder, wonderful material in, in, in so called Vedic astrology. There's also wonderful stuff in Western astrology. Yeah. And they have been in contact in the past and they can be fertilize each other now. Yeah, no, that, that's that, more like yeah, yeah. I, I like that take. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, fully agree, fully agree with that. Let's go back to the author. Um, if you had to name your two favorite books of yourself, I mean the ones that you published, um, which would be the two? Ah, uh, well, I mean, a lot of people say Gia Sophie is my greatest work, and uh, and all the rest of it. Uh, uh, but for myself, test, I think Testament to Cyprian, the Mage, mm-hmm. uh, t- it, it kind of t- it takes the, the previous two vo- uh, two volumes and says, "And now, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah." You know, it, it does it does give me a, a more complete picture of philosophically, historically, and uh, and how some some of the themes develop into the grimoires and mm-hmm. how this stuff. Then is still relevant now. The continuity and yeah, the depth background. Yeah, Testament Sip in the Mage. I, I do the, the okay. soft spot for it. Mm-hmm. And I also really like Pandemonium, although I hate yeah. writing it. Writing it was a complete pain. It was terrible. I'm sure. Yeah. I, yeah. But I agree. Yeah. I, I love that one too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, even the subtitle is already a, an artwork, a discordant concordance of diverse spirit catalogues. I mean, <laughs> you have to, you have to find that. <laughs> yeah. But I assume it was an awful lot of work, right? There was a lot of work. There was uh, 
big charts on the wall with arrows and mm-hmm. you know, columns and mm-hmm. I've card, card index system, yeah. all, all, sorts of, all sorts of stuff going on. Yeah. And yeah, the discordant part is it, true. I mean, it, there's never going to be a nice clear tabulation of all the spirit catalogues into one orderly super sure. mega system. No. It's always going to be messy. There's always going to be loose ends. I mean, and that for me is part of the attraction. Uh, I was going to isn't that really the true knowledge that it is like yeah. that, right? Yeah. 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 Whereas the Gilisha of Solomon looks neat and orderly due to a good editing job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that, that is actually concealing an abyss of confusion. Yeah. And the, the true grimoire engages with that quite quickly. It's a, uh-huh. it's a nice, nice orderly start, but then there's this strand and that strand and this other strand that you might want to develop on. And yeah. that, that for me is always more appealing and, and real. Uh, I was going to ask you earlier, uh, but now I rephrase that question that I had on my mind because it's it links into what you just said. Um, uh, I was going to ask you: Is a youngster who starts in the in magic today with all the internet uh, things that he can find, is it easier for them or is it is it more difficult for them? But I rephrase that in a bit in a different way. Isn't the fact that people try to catalog not your? I mean, not I mean, just in the way you said, right? To make it orderly and clean. Uh, isn't that a sickness of our time that makes it more difficult for youngsters to find the true magical path? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there, there is a, an urge to, to make everything neat and tidy and an mm. orderly system. You know, people have expectations of a system, but they're not necessarily realistic. When, 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 when that system has to interact with the world, or when you have to, you know, look at the roots of that system as they are in the real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and on the other hand, uh, yeah, concerning the internet, there's a lot of nonsense on the internet which is going to Bet. you're going to have to sift through. Critical thinking is very important, yeah. but I think that's just as much the case you know, for me in the seventies and the pre-internet time. Mm-hmm. There was a lot. Of, a lot of hippie nonsense around, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of beliefs that seem to have you know, a solid foundation, you know, like, like I say, you know, the White Goddess, mm-hmm. uh, the Golden Bell, various novels. We're all colluding in this picture of the past that was actually only as old as the 19th century. Yeah, yeah. This golden, golden age of golden the goddess. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Witchcraft was a direct descendant of it through thousands of years. All that looked feasible somehow. But it was nonsense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so, so the internet isn't the it isn't the great source of nonsense, and everything else was sensible before. No, young magicians have always had to deal with nonsense. Their mm. own nonsense. Their yeah. own nonsense and other people. Yeah. So, Very true. Yeah. Their own nonsense yeah. and other people's. Yes, definitely, definitely. So, how would you, if some youngster would ask you, Jake, I I, I really feel attracted by magic, but how can I start? What would you answer? Um, well, I might try and dissuade them. Was like, oh, yeah. mm. Are you sure? <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. And, and for some people, that, you know, that's kind, but they won't necessarily listen. You know, you know, magic is a big ask. I mean, if you're really you know, prepared to, to follow it and, and, and dig and deep, dig deep for it, then good luck to you. Mm. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it should be about curiosity rather than status yeah 
yeah. you know, he, he, yeah, he, much like it. You know, one of the good reasons for calling it an art is an artist can't really stop. You know, they're, yeah. they're working, not be selling, but they, yeah. they've still got you know, they've still got to paint. Yeah. They've still got to write. Yeah. Because it, it's, it, it, it's a fire inside them that yeah. you know, yeah. have to respond to. And that, that, that should be how magic it is. Yeah. Magic. yeah, I I, I agree. I can imagine magic is an art. Um, Leonard Bernstein, the great conductor, he said at one point, if you think about becoming a musician, don't. <laughs> Because you shouldn't think about it. <laughs> That's exactly what you put now forward to the youngster. <laughs> And definitely, definitely. Natik, let's see a bit about your future projects because I gather you have a few new books in the in the line that, that we can expect. Can you tell us a bit about those projects? Well, what, one of them is definitely happening. I mean, for the last few years, I've been talking about various projects and then mm. they turn into something else and then that turns into something else. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I'm going to go and do a lot of stuff in Prague and then we get COVID-19 and said, mm. no, you're going to stay exactly where you are. You know, so a lot, a lot of my plans have had to be flexible, but I'm a flexible person. And I do actually have a book with Haiti Press right now. There's nothing I can do to stop or change it. Good, sir. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, I'm not giving away the title yet, but it is basically a guide to grimoiring and some of the things you need to think about and do in order to get along with the grimoires. How do grimoires work? Yeah. What, what, are the, what, are, what is the process, if any, you know, that, that unites yeah, most of them, if not all of them? <clears throat> And yeah, some some thoughts on, on things that aren't generally spoken about, but that ought to be and need to be. Yeah, yeah. But so, but we are happy to expect already one sure thing, and the others hopefully. <laughs> uh, say again, yeah. the, the the publisher that you're working with on that project. Hadian Press. Hadian yeah. Press. Okay, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. I just didn't it catch is. it the first time. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I mean, when yeah. about do you think we can we can expect that? Uh, it'll be uh, with the printers in July, or fr coming from the printers in July. Okay. You know? so. But I've, I've already seen the proof copy. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. It's definitely rolling forward. It exists. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, hopefully there's going to be a, a revised a second edition of the True Grimoire with Scarlet Imprint before too right. long. But But I, I, I don't. I can't set any dates for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Two two great publishers, Scarlet Imprint and and Haiti Impress, both are really doing doing great work. Absolutely. I love both of them. Yeah, yeah. lovely people to work with. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any other next two books? Any other projects or ideas that you're working at that you would like to talk about? Uh, well, I, I really ought to have already written a book about the Lunar Mansions. Hmm. So. Uh, I've got a big file, a lot, well, a file full of files on the computer. So that will hopefully follow before too long. But how quickly, I don't know. Like I so say, my, my recent projects keep changing their shape. And you know, I, I, just sit there, I just sit there writing and hope eventually a book will fall out. <laughs> Well, um, I, we are all hoping that it'll come together and, and come on our tables. We really have that. Well, uh, Jake, this was a lovely hour in your company. Um, before I let you go again, do you have a kind of final word, something that really matters to you in respect to magic or to your work or to 
to life in general, something that you would like to say to our audience as a kind of a yeah, final word by you? Well, yeah. earlier on and at various points in the conversation, yeah, I've been thinking about respectability. I don't want magic to be respectable. Yeah. I think <laughs> it's an enormous problem when it tries to be. Uh, I, uh, we only have to dig uh, dig out the real magic again uh, from layers and layers of, of respectable stuff. So uh, yeah, I'm not a respectable person. I've lived an adventurous life. I've, I've bent a few rules here and there, and uh, you're not going to get anywhere, anywhere in magic life by trying to be a stuffed shirt. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, that, that's pretty much. Yeah, I think that's a, a great, a great final word. And thank you for that. Um, Jake, it was really lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you for being patient with me because we had to postpone that for a week because because I was moving and had some time problems because of that. Thank you for that. And um, but we are still on track. We are this issue is coming out on time, just like planned. Thanks to you and your flexibility. Thanks, Jake. And uh, well, continue well. Thank mm -hmm. you.
big thank you to Jake, Jake Stratton-Kent for this lovely interview and thanking him for sharing this great knowledge of his with us and making us curious to know even more about what he has been talking about and also his upcoming books, of course. So this comes towards the end of this episode number three of season six. Our last piece of music, just to remind you, was a piece for two cello called Beginning to End. Well, yes, it's the end of the show and I can only thank you all for having been with us here again today and hope to see you back on the next show on episode four of this Thoth Hermes podcast. The next show will be in two weeks' time on May 16, and after May 16, we will return to a weekly schedule as I have promised to you when we restarted and when we started season six. So, my guest on that show in two weeks will be Giulia Tarolla. Giulia is an Italian witch, high priestess, and teacher in the Temple of Ara tradition. So, you're going to learn a bit, quite a bit also historically about witchcraft and how it returned to the front also in the 20th century, because the temple of Ara has a lot to do with that. But Julia, our guest, is also an academician. She, is, she graduated with honors in archaeology and ancient world cultures in Bologna, in her native Italy. And she has been leading circles for her temple of Ara since 2008. And led study groups and advanced workshops, has been teaching and holding speeches on, for example, the Magical Women Conference in London. But believe it or not, with all that experience, it's going to be her first ever podcast interview. And I'm very happy and proud to be the one who lets her do that first interview here on the Thought Hermes podcast. So don't miss out on that. We are looking forward to have you back in two weeks. And for the moment, I can only say, take care, stay tuned, hear you soon.